Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest is Becky Gray. She's the Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, a frequent guest on Tom Campbell's North Carolina SPIN program and frequent guest on our program and one of the many people that we turn to for insight into what's going on, not only in the state of North Carolina, but nationally. And uh, as we promised right before the break, we're going to turn our attention to talking about the uh, United States Senate rate, the incumbent uh, Tom Tillis uh, and uh, the uh, challenger, Cal Cunningham. Uh, several interesting things have happened in that race uh, that uh, don't have a lot to do with uh, politics, but uh, do have a lot to do with who's going to get elected. So we want to talk about that. And, and of course, millions and millions of dollars have been poured into it because uh, if the North Carolina Senate seat flips to the uh, Democratic side, it is highly likely that the Democrats will either control or at least have a uh, standoff in the United States Senate. So an important race, Becky. It's a very important race. And again, North Carolina is the, you have to get through North Carolina to get to really who's going to control Washington, D.C. and the country. So it's a very, the North Carolina's U.S. Senate race is a very important race, not only to North Carolinians and who's going to represent us in Washington, but Don, as you mentioned, what the balance of power will be with the U.S. Senate. And of course, you know, we've seen what that how much that matters with a lot of decisions that are being made. I mean, just this recent appointment of Amy Barrett Cohen to the, or Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court is, you know, just one of the illustrations that we've seen lately of how important who controls the Senate is. Uh, So there's a lot at stake and North Carolina is a big race. And of course we have Tom Tellis who is running for re-election. We have Cal Cunningham, a former North Carolina state Senator who is trying to unseat him. Tons of money piled into this race coming a lot from out of state, uh, particularly the donations to Cal Cunnings, Cunningham's race, which again illustrates how important this race is to the country. Um, we saw it, Cal Cunningham, at least in the polling, had a, a considerable lead um, until the last several weeks and until this um the scandal broke when we discovered that, and he has not denied this, that he has been having an affair with a married woman who is married to a military um, army person. Her husband is in the army. Cal Cunningham also served in the army, was a JAG officer, and was a a superior officer to this woman's husband. So there are some concerns about court marshals. There are concerns about investigations going along that way. So in other words, Cal Cunningham kind of hit a tremendous roadblock in his campaign. This was something that was not expected, um, but it has become a real question in his race, um, you know, whether or not you can trust Cal Cunningham and is he who he says he is, Um portraying himself as a a Boy Scout, portraying himself as his campaign has been about integrity and honesty and those kind of things. And then, you know, we find this this flaw in that presentation for him. So what we've seen is the polls have really tightened in this race. He has cut his lead over Tom Tillis um, about in half just in the last couple of weeks. So how this plays out 
between now and election day, you know, I don't know. You know, this is also a thing, you know, a lot of people had voted voted before this scandal broke. That's kind of one of the things that people have said about early voting and why they wait until later is they want to make sure that they have all the information that's available on election day. And this is an example of why someone might do that. Well, and the other interesting thing to me is that uh, for some reason or another, and I'm not quite sure I fully understand this, that Tom Tillis has never fully endeared himself to the Republican base of President Trump. They, they have not always embraced him. And part of the reason was at one point in time, he resisted one of the Trump programs. But uh, the other side of that is, uh, are the, uh, why would they not still vote for uh for Tillis, because the only other candidate on the slate is Cal Cunningham. Well, yeah, so and one, I, one thing that I've ahead. heard, one thing that I've heard in this race, um, and you know, you hear it in elections, but but I've heard it in the Senate race pretty consistently of voters on both sides of that are holding their nose and voting for a candidate that they don't agree with or perhaps whose principles don't reflect their own, um, but they are voting for the party. And again, because the Senate seat is so important. So I think we're having a lot of nose-holding voting in the Senate race. Well, let's assume for a moment that Cal Cunningham might win. And then let's assume, and this is an assumption, that... uh, the military does elect to process the case against him and maybe gives him a dishonorable discharge or whatever they might do. Uh, at that point in time, the Senate seat would be in Democratic hands and would be up for the governor to appoint the successor. Is that correct? I believe that's true, um, but it does come back to the voters before the end of the six-year term. Um, I believe that's how it works. But that's a consideration that I think voters, you know, should, the piece of information that voters might find helpful, um, that, you know, this is this is what they're dealing with, with Cal Cunningham and the uncertainty with it. At the other hand, with Tom Tillis, you know what you have. He has a strong record. He is a former Speaker of the North Carolina House and was the Speaker of the North Carolina House when we had the transformational tax reform, when we had the regulatory reform. You know, this is continuing through this day, but in the last decade, many of the reforms that we talk about that has made North Carolina a model for for the rest of the state were done under Tom Tillis's leadership when he was the Speaker of the House. And he has taken, you know, a lot of that sort of fearless, get the job done leadership to the Senate. And when you are that kind of leader and you do those kind of things, you are going to step on some toes along the way. And, and he has. But he has a he has a record that people can look at and decide whether they want to support him, whether they want to vote for him or not. And Don, you're right. I mean, he has um, come up against President Trump on some certain things, but he does have the endorsement of the president and is, I think, the big issues that are out there with, you mentioned Obamacare, health care, with a lot of the national security things. Um, Tom Tillis is clearly standing with the president on those, on those issues that are important to him and are important to many North Carolinians. I want to get back to one point then uh, that you made that if uh, if for some reason or another Cal Cunningham does not fulfill his term, then it would be in two years we would have two United States Senate races going on in North Carolina at the same time. As if things couldn't get more interesting than they are this year. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Okay, so uh, that, that's, of course, we're 
that's pure conjecture at this point in time. Let's turn to the governor's race and the lieutenant governor's race in North Carolina. Uh, Governor Cooper seems to be in almost all circumstances, um, in all, all the polls I've seen, has a very comfortable lead, and that doesn't appear to be tightening at this point in time. Well, what's your observation? Um, well, you know, Don, it's tightening a little bit. I mean, you know, the latest poll, the governor has um, has enjoyed double-digit poll results over his opponent, Dan Forrest, um, really throughout the election. But just this last week, um, he's up by nine is the latest poll that I saw. So it's tightening a little bit. It would be somewhat of an upset for Dan Forrest to defeat to defeat Roy Cooper. Um, but, you know, in, in this day and time, anything can happen. I think that Cooper is really running on his response to the COVID-19. And um, there are people on both sides of this issue. There are people that have been very critical of the way that he has shut down the economy, of the, um, the inequity in the way that he has allowed businesses to open up or to remain closed. Uh, record unemployment has resulted from this. And there, so there's sort of the economic concerns that people have as well as the health concerns. And everything about COVID and the COVID response in North Carolina, Roy Cooper owns. He will, has not conferred with the Council of State and has been criticized for that. Um, he has fought the General Assembly on many of the, the things that they have tried to do for the recovery. He has, he has forged this himself. And so whether you like his response or you don't like his response, Governor Cooper owns the COVID-19 response in North Carolina. And then, of course, there's the question of the schools as well. So it's the health care concerns. It's the economic concerns. It's the education concerns. But Roy Cooper owns all of this COVID response. And so this has got to be a, a referendum on his response to COVID. So I'll be interested to see what what that what that looks like. With all the emphasis on the Senate race and the governor's race and the congressional races, one race that often gets uh, neglected is the lieutenant governor's race. Uh, and of course, we have two newcomers running. Um, what's your view and what are your thoughts about the lieutenant governor's race? We have Mark Robinson on the Republican side and Yvonne Hawley on the Democratic side. Um, no matter who wins, we will have our first African-American lieutenant governor in North Carolina. So that's something to, to keep in mind about that that race. The other thing about this race is the lieutenant governor sits on the Board of Education. They sit on the Community College Board. Um, so they have an important voice in many different things across North Carolina. They also preside over the state Senate. And as we watch those results come in, if there is a tie between the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate at 25-25, or as issues become before the Senate and there is a tie vote, the lieutenant governor is the one who breaks that tie vote. Um, so a lot of people are watching that very critically. As a matter of fact, I was really interested to see that uh, Michael Bloomberg has put $8.5 million into Yvonne Hawley's race just this week, um, perhaps looking at you know, what happens if there is a tie in the in the North Carolina Senate. So th this race has been a little bit under the radar, but when you look at it and the repercussions and what the lieutenant governor's role could be, um, you realize how very important this race is. Well, it, uh, it has been under, with all the emphasis on the presidential, the uh, 
governor's race and the Senate race, it, it does sort of fall uh, uh, in, a, in a situation where the public is, has not seen a lot of, of uh, news or information or even political plans about it so far. But with that money that you're talking about coming in, it will. Our guest is Becky Gray, and we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Becky Gray is our guest. A reminder that this program is heard in two different versions. Many of the stations that carry the program carry a half an hour version, and there are two additional segments that those listeners might want to enjoy. If they do, then they go to carolinanewsmakers.com, and they can hear the segments that they missed. It's carolinanewsmakers.com. Or if you'd like to hear any of the uh, previous programs that Becky has been on with us, you can also uh, search her uh, past programs uh, with us and, and listen to those. Becky Gray is Senior Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, and we have, of course, been focusing almost entirely on the, the uh, election that's coming up on Tuesday. We've talked already about the presidential race, the Senate race, and the congressional races, the governor's race. Uh, an, another uh, situation that is going to be very critical in this election in North Carolina is the race for the North Carolina House and Senate. And since there's been redistricting, uh, those races are going to be a lot tighter uh, and there could be a flip. So let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the, that situation, the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate and how you view that might turn out. Um, yeah, and it is going to be a little bit a little bit different with the redistricting of some of the districts that we saw that were tweaked. And then also, Don, you know, as people are moving into North Carolina, we're seeing the demographics and the voting demographics of where people live and what those voters look like switch a little bit. For example, North Carolina's urban areas have become much more democratic, where our urban area or our rural areas are much more 
Republican conservative voters. So we're, you know, we're also seeing those kind of kinds of shifts. But as we look at it and we look at the different seats and where we may see some changes, uh, we may very well see a North Carolina Senate still controlled by Republicans, but by only one or two seats, 26, 27, maybe 28 Republican seats. And where the differences are, where we're seeing those really contested seats are, again, in our urban areas, um, in Charlotte, in the Greensboro area, in Wilmington, um, and then, you know, kind of rural, but again, the demographics have changed in the northeast part of North Carolina. So, some people are saying that it could be a 25-25 split, as we talked about in the earlier segment, where the, then the lieutenant governor becomes much a bigger player in the Senate. But that's what we're looking at with the Senate. So probably still stay in Republican hands, but by a smaller margin. In the House, we're seeing really the same thing in those same areas of the state where the um, the particular districts of the areas are switching in the Greensboro area, in the Charlotte Mecklenburg, in Wake County, in New Hanover County. Uh, Cumberland County is another area where we could very well see a flip. So, um, you know, as we look at the House seats, again, same kind of thing, 120 seats. We could see a 65-55 split with Republicans maintaining the control. It could be less than that um, in a kind of a outlier year, but could happen. There could also be a 60-60 split in the House, which would make things quite interesting. So that's what we're looking at for the House and the Senate I predict, and the polling is showing that likely it will remain in Republican hands, but there will be a smaller margin. Now, one thing to remember in this next legislative session that we have, this is following the national census that's taken every 10 years of counting up how many people are in North Carolina. This next General Assembly will be doing the next round of redistricting for the next decade. So also very significant about who has control of those two bodies. And then, of course, there's the same thing. Some of the challenges that we've mentioned before about health care for North Carolinians, access to health care, what education is going to look like post-pandemic. Um, you know, are we going to have lots of choices for kids to find the best educational opportunities for them, or are we going to have more of a union-run school system? And then, of course, the economy, which is, you know, first and foremost for most people of, am I going to have a job? What's that going to look like? Are there going to be additional investments being made in North Carolina? Is our economy going to go back to being one of the most robust in the country? And then what kind of governance are we going to have? Are we going to have one that really restrains? the spending and growth of government, or are we going to have one that expands the growth and, and cost of government? So these are the decisions that are really going to rest with the General Assembly. And so what happens in this election, because this next General Assembly will do the next round of redistricting, could very well have an impact and have a, determine what North Carolina is going to look like for the next decade. I tried to put myself in the position of saying if I were doing the redistricting, how would I do it now that there are so many registered unaffiliates? Because if you line it up purely by a party, uh, as the courts typically look at, um, 
you've got this large number of people who are registered on affiliates. Well, they're going to vote Democrat or Republican one way or the other. Uh, how do you do it successfully when you've got so many registered on affiliates? Well, you know, I think the key to that, Don, is you make the the political affiliation way down on the list of criteria that you consider. You know, when you're doing redistricting, the first rule of thumb is that goes back to guaranteeing one man, one vote. So what you want is you want the same or close to, as close as you can get it, um, the same number of people in each district, regardless of what their political affiliation is. You know, you also want to keep communities of interest together. So if you have a farming community, you want that whole district to be, look as much alike as you can so that whoever represents that community, there's that commonality that would come with it. Uh, You also want to keep counties whole to the extent that you can. You want to, um, you know, keep those, those districts and those areas contiguous so that you don't have just those one little tiny point of, of contact, you know, that there are groups that are that are put together. So if you have those criteria, then the political affiliation really becomes less important. And, you know, how it falls is how it falls. And what we may very well see is there will always be some districts that are going to sw- really be strong for one party or another, just because that's the way people live. You know, um, more Democrats, more progressives are moving to the urban areas, more conservatives are moving to the rural areas. Um, You know, that's just the way it is. So you're always going to have districts that are strong one way or the other. Um, What you want is a representation of the people in North Carolina. Okay, I've got about uh, a little less than a minute to ask you this question. When we wake up on Wednesday morning, how do you think North Carolina's races are going to turn out for president, governor, and senate? And we'll put I you on the spot. And th- so um, you've got th- uh, about th- 30 seconds to give me th- an answer. Okay, these are my thoughts. I think that North Carolina carries President Trump by probably one point. I think that Governor Cooper is reelected governor, and I think that Tom Tillis will return to Washington, but again, with a pretty small margin. My predictions. Okay, you should have taken about 15 more seconds because now I don't have another question for you. (laughs) Becky Gray, we appreciate your being with us. Uh, And if you'd like to hear a repeat of this entire broadcast uh, uh, where we went into depth in the earlier segments on uh, not only the congressional races across the state, but also the governor's race and the Senate race and the lieutenant governor's race, then you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and you can find just that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, who promises me faithfully each week that he will have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So once again, Becky, thank you so much for being with us. Jason, thank you for producing the program. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you all again next week right here on Carolina Newspapers. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.